Hello, hello, goblins and ghouls. Welcome to another episode of the You're So Quiet podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chelsea Brown. As not like always, this is going to be a little bit different of an episode. As you may have noticed, it is spooky season, aka October. So I am that person who takes spooky season to a whole nother level. I do not have my 12-foot skeleton from Home Depot yet, but frankly, it is only a matter of time. So, you have been forewarned. All of my what I've been consuming recommendations are spooky-themed. This week, it is going to be classics. I have some classic novels and short stories that I'll talk about, and classic movies, of course, because I grew up on classic horror so I have some some good recs for that as well. So like, obviously, I'm not shy about loving Halloween and all things scary, but wouldn't you say that there are like other weirder occurrences that you kind of keep to yourself? Maybe you can't really explain why that house at the end of the street kind of gives you a weird vibe. You can't really tell someone that maybe you saw a figure standing in the upstairs window of that abandoned house. I'll share some of my stories, and if you have any stories that you want to share with me and your fellow You're So Quiet listeners, you can send me a DM at You're So Quiet Pod on Instagram, and I can share it next time on the podcast. So for now, let's dive into what I have been consuming classic spooky edition. So first, we're going to talk about books. I finally read The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty. I mean, classic, classic horror. I watched the movie like forever ago. I remember it being like fine. I think it's an older movie. So like the special effects aren't what they are today. And For me, given like the generation I grew up in, that does have a bearing on it. If your special effects are terrible, I'm not, probably not gonna be really frightened by your movie, period. But the book, for me, when I read, it's like watching a movie in my head. So reading the book was next level scary. Like maybe I shouldn't be reading this at night as I'm trying to fall asleep, kind of scary. I will say, though, that the dialogue really leaves a lot to be desired. People don't talk like that. They've never spoken like that. This is, like, I think how a robot might predict that we would speak. And, like, an old-timey robot at that, not the AI assistants that we have now. That dialogue is really present for you right at the beginning. But if you can get over it... I I promise you, you are in for a solid, scary read. I am also currently listening to Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. I've actually never read it, to be perfectly honest with you. And I recently discovered that your local library might participate in this. My local library in Texas has their like archives or whatever on an app called Libby and you can rent ebooks and audiobooks for free like with your library card. I didn't know about this. Uh it would have been really nice to know. Now granted, it is like at the library when the book you want is not in stock and you have to be put on a wait list and they'll contact you when when it comes back. And the same is true of audiobooks and ebooks because they only have limited number of licenses and people are using them. So lucky for me, Frankenstein was available. I'm listening to it now. I'm about 50% of the way through. I, I'm not really sure what to think about it yet. I just got to the part where Frankenstein meets his monster again and his monster is about to explain what happened after he was abandoned. So I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. I listen to it while I'm running. So to be perfectly honest, I'm not super actively listening, but I really like having it in the background. 
and I think it's a really interesting story. The dialogue and some of the verbiage is very 1800s. Doesn't really bother me, to be perfectly honest with you. The story itself is still really compelling, and the audiobook narrator is great. So, to me, it doesn't really bother me. To you, it might be a little off-putting, so just be aware of that. On the subject of 1800s, we cannot talk about horror writing without talking about Edgar Allan Poe, like one of the most famous horror mystery macabre writers ever, ever on earth, ever, okay? He's like one of the founding fathers <laughs> of horror writing, right? So my favorite short story by him is The Telltale Heart. I read this probably 20 years ago, so when I was like nine, uh, and this has really stuck with me throughout the last couple decades, and I still read it every now and again. You've obviously heard of like The Raven and things like that, so if you've not read Edgar Allan Poe, he writes a lot of poetry, he writes a lot of short stories. They're not crazy long reads. Some of the short stories or maybe a couple pages, like it's not, it's not anything serious. So if you just want something for like 30 minutes, that might be a good, a good thing for you to try. But I can't, I can't rave about Poe enough. His writing is, is very, very good. And I think it translates really well from the 1800s to today. So yeah, can't talk about spooky season without Poe. And because this is a Halloween episode, I must tell you what I have been consuming candy edition, okay? So I had a craving for candy corn, and I know candy corn is like the worst of the candies, although I don't really agree with that. I think peeps are worse, and I think those little circus peanut things are terrible, disgusting. But I had a craving for candy corn, so I have been eating candy corn. I actually kind of am feeling it, which is weird. Maybe it's because I'm older. My taste buds are more mature, but I've also like literally bitten through my cheek every time I've been eating candy corn. I don't know if I'm going too crazy on them or what, but uh, not a fan there, but the flavor is good. So if you haven't had candy corn in a while, just get a small bag. See if you like them now. Maybe you do. I also bought like a 48 pack, maybe too much, maybe too much of those caramel apple suckers. Like the, the lollipop itself is apple flavored and it's covered in like a hard caramel. It, it, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so fall, so Halloween, very nostalgic. I love it. Okay. Love it so much. I also bought like one of those gigantic Halloween packs of the little mini chocolate things. It's like Snickers and Milky Way in it. And the little Milky Ways, the dark midnight ones or whatever they're called, those are the best. And I think they're only really good when they're small. Maybe it's like extra chocolate or something. But if you are looking for some like chocolate satisfaction during your Halloween time, go for the midnight Milky Way. Do it. I promise you, you will not regret it. Now, as far as movies, I said that I grew up on horror. My mom is a huge horror movie fan, and I've been watching horror movies since I was very, very small, like four years old, probably, maybe before that, but probably four is when I start to remember. And I think that that has kind of influenced my taste in movies moving forward. So one of my favorite movies ever is Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock. It's not technically a horror film. It's more of like a thriller, murder mystery, but I think it still sets like a nice, nice kind of ominous tone, right? So Rear Window is a really, really good one. I also watched for the first time House on Haunted Hill. It's a 1959 film. It is black and white. And it's, I mean... Like, don't get me wrong, it's not really scary. Let's, <laughs> let's be serious. But I think some of the elements within that, that story are still iconic today. Like people who are double crossing each other and unreliable narrators 
and multiple points of view, like those kind of things are very prevalent today. So that I think is a really good one to watch if you've never seen it before. And if you're also not really into the the diehard, devilly kind of horror movies, right? So that's a good one. One of, I think, I think this series has probably four or five at this point, maybe more. I watched just the first one for research purposes, of course. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, The Knife Hands. You know exactly who I'm talking about. 1984. I think it's still it's still a spooky kind of concept. And there's some good jump scares. It's a good slasher kind of film. I remember watching it when I was much younger and I was never really afraid to go to sleep or anything like that. Like that didn't get to me, which is ironic because the Chucky movies, if you remember those, one of the most vivid nightmares I've ever had was because of the Chucky movies. I remember I had a dream that I was in one of the old houses that we lived in growing up. It was on a military base and I was in the bathroom and this like giant Chucky doll comes into the bathroom and I hide behind the door and I look at him in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not here. And he's like, okay. And he walks away like, whew, I, I made it through. I'm fine. So I'm like walking through the house trying to find out where this giant Chucky doll went. And I walk outside and down the walk to the mailbox and I look to the left and at like the crest of the hill where the street would come down to my house, I just saw hundreds of Chucky dolls running at me with their little knives and stuff. And that's when I wake up. It, it was terrifying. Still remember it to this day. And I had it probably when I was five, six, I don't know. But that to me was far more scarring than Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, similarly, Friday the 13th, just a good slasher movie. Sometimes I'm not really in the mood for devil kind of stuff or like things I'm actually going to be afraid of moving forward. But who doesn't love a good slasher? Uh, As far as hauntings, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today, I also rewatched Poltergeist from 1982. It's, let's put it this way. My husband doesn't like like devil type movies, exorcism movies, haunting movies, he's out. Slasher movies, he's good. He watched Poltergeist with me. Let's put it that way. It's really not that scary. I think it's still an interesting film and it's an interesting watch. But yeah, that's, I think, a good, like quintessential spooky season type movie. And keeping with our haunted places, The Shining, We've all seen The Shining. I recommend a rewatch. And if you have not read the book, highly recommend that you read the book because it is so much better than the movie, as per usual. I don't know why I'm surprised. So today, we're going to be talking about haunted objects and haunted places. I think the idea of a place you live or a place you visit being haunted is uh, it even now it kind of gives you like the little neck tingles right like someone's looking over your shoulder and I think it's something interesting to talk about but I think it's also something that we kind of keep to ourselves you know like if we notice something weird we're like eh it's probably fine you know I I probably just forgot to turn off the light upstairs I'll get it in the morning kind of thing you know So that's what we're going to talk about today, right after this. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to start with haunted objects. I found quite a few, right, just cursory Google searches, but there were two that were particularly interesting to me. So, the first one I'll talk about is called The Hands Resist Him, 
It's also known as the eBay haunted painting. Just Google it, okay? Internet, whatever internet search engine of choice you use, search for it. And look at this creepy painting and tell me you don't look at it and think it's haunted. I mean, never in life would I be like, man, this is going to look really great in my kitchen. Like, never. Never, ever, ever. Okay, so I will describe it to you in case, like, you're driving or something and you can't Google right now. Okay, so it's a darker painting. It is in color. It's a painting of a boy on the right and a doll about the same height as him standing to his right, so on our left if we're looking at it. And they're both standing in front of a set of glass doors. And through the glass doors, you can see dozens of little hands reaching for them. I mean, dude. <laughs> First of all, I don't know what possessed someone to paint this thing. I mean, it is creepy. It's creepy. I have a painting in my house that the first time I saw it was very disturbing, right? It's huge. It's probably as tall as me. And it's this gigantic face. And, but it's not like a people face. It's like an animal face kind of with like timepiece gears and stuff. It, I mean, it's, it's weird. And when I first moved in with my husband, I was like, man, I don't really like that painting. It's kind of, kind of disturbing me. But now I kind of like it. It feels very, like, benevolent, you know? But this, the hands resist him painting. I mean, goodbye. Never, never in life would I own this thing. So, dude paints it in 1972. Bill Stoneham paints it in 1972, sells the painting. So, not only did this guy create it, people purchased it. And the people who purchase it start noticing weird things. And the things that they notice are, for example, the figures in the painting, the doll and the boy, moving around, just casually moving around the painting or vanishing from the painting altogether only to show up somewhere in the house. In the house! Like, just walk into the room. No. <laughs> no way. That's not happening. <laughs> not happening at all. They also said that... People who viewed it felt sick or dizzy. Children would scream and run away from it. Adults would feel like hands are reaching for them when they're looking at it. So I looked at this painting online, mind you, not in person. But even online, I'm like, man, this thing is giving me really creepy vibes. I mean, it's so much so that as I'm reading this article... I scroll my screen so that I'm not looking at the painting anymore. I, like, didn't even want it on my screen anymore. Even though normally I'll read text in the center of my screen. Like, nope, I just want that painting off of my screen right now. I, I just don't like it. I don't like it. It creeps me out. I'm not good with it. And my, <laughs> my intuition was clearly correct. Because the people who have owned this painting have noticed weird stuff. The owner of the gallery where the painting was first displayed died within a year of coming into contact with the painting. So to me, all of this is like, okay, bad news. Why don't we get rid of it? I just, I don't, I don't know what possesses people to like, keep the things around that have creepiness attached to them. I don't know. For me, don't get it. But I also kind of wonder, like... First of all, is this true? I don't know. I got really weird vibes from the painting, personally. Um, so for me, I think it's possible. But, like, why did this happen? So was it, like, something that the artist put into the painting? Did he paint with hate in his heart? Or is he somehow infusing demons into his reds or something? I don't know. I don't know, that kind of thing really creeps me out. I just don't feel like objects become haunted objects for no reason. And that kind of logic is supported by my next haunted item. 
Okay, so it's called the Dybbuk Box, and it's supposed to be the most haunted object in the world. It is claimed to be haunted by a Dybbuk, which is a demon creature from Jewish mythology. The box is one of a set of ten, and together the ten wine boxes are supposed to represent the Tree of Life as in the Kabbalah, which is the basis for mysticism in Jewish culture. The box that I'm talking about right now is actually owned by Zach Baggins. He hosts Ghost Adventures, and they actually did an episode on this particular box. Actually, two episodes on this box. One was with Post Malone and one was not. In the one with Post Malone, the box actually was not opened, but Post Malone actually touched the box, or Zach touched the box and then touched him. But in any case, right after he had this experience with the box, he started having all these horrible things happen to him. Like he got in a horrible car accident, his home was broken into, like all of this stuff started happening. And I think it could be coincidence, but I sincerely doubt it. Okay, it just seems a little too coincidental, you know what I mean? So this box, like I said, is supposed to be the most haunted object in the world, and that's because it's said that these 10 boxes together represent all of the evil of the 20th century. So think like World War II, for example, all the evil in there magnified by however much evil there was in the 100-year period of the 20th century. So it's said that if these boxes are all opened at the same time, the evil that would be unleashed is just beyond our comprehension. There are only eight boxes that we, and I say we, but it's not me, but eight boxes that we actually know the location of and two are missing. And frankly, that might be for the best because people like Zach Baggins on Ghost Adventures opened this thing, opened his his wine box. He actually owns two. He owns the small root one and then the bigger one that we're talking about today. He opened them both at the same time. He was acting kind of strange, really aggressive, seeming like he was hearing things that weren't actually there, which I thought was very strange. But in the same token, I kind of have a pretty healthy skepticism for this show. That being said, I don't think I really want to test it. You know, I don't I don't have the need to open all 10 boxes just to see what happened. I don't need to open one box. Okay? This box also inspired the movie The Possession, which I am planning to watch. I think it's rated 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, which like could be still an entertaining movie or it could be horribly horrifically bad. So, either way, might be fine. What I also thought was interesting is that this particular box was sold on eBay, just like the painting that I talked about earlier. I don't know what it is with people and selling haunted stuff on eBay, but like we need to not do that. But in the same token, it's also speculated that all of this evil stuff surrounding this particular wine box was just generated as a way to sell the box. So that's possible. I don't know. In any case, I'm not out here trying to test it. Not me. You won't catch me doing it, okay? Similarly, you will not catch me touching the Annabelle doll, okay? I know I said I would talk about two objects, but I don't know that we can talk about haunted objects without this very famous doll. We know the Annabelle doll from the Conjuring series and from the Annabelle series spinoffs from that. This doll does not actually look like it does in the movie. In the movie, that thing is like clearly, obviously haunted. (laughs) Like it's terrifying. But the original doll is just a Raggedy Ann doll. It was gifted to somebody in the 70s. This girl had it in her apartment with her friend. And this doll all of a sudden starts moving around on its own. It shuts doors. It scratches people. It leaves notes around the house. And to me, I'm like, um, if this starts happening when the doll comes, the doll got to go. From my research, I couldn't find 
anywhere where it mentioned that these women tried to get rid of it. I know in one of the movies, they tried to throw it out and the doll ended up coming back into their apartment. It could just be like for movies. I don't know. But it didn't say in my research that they tried to get rid of it. They tried to like have an exorcism done and cleansing and all sorts of stuff. Honestly, I don't like any of my stuff that much to keep it around if it's haunting me. Goodbye forever. This doll was blamed for demonic possession, so the girl who owned it contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren, which you might also recognize their names from the Conjuring series. They're demonologists and paranormal investigators. They're a couple. And they come out and they say that this doll is, like, possessed by an inhuman spirit because they claim that human spirits do not attach themselves to objects or houses, which is a little alarming. I mean, <laughs> I would rather it be a person haunting me than like a demon, but you know, whatever. And they do perform an exorcism. They put holy water on it and eventually they're like, look, we just need to lock this thing up. And I don't know why that conclusion wasn't arrived to sooner, but it wasn't. I don't know. Okay. So they take the doll with them and even in the car on the way to their home and again I'm not sure why you're taking it to your home but they clearly have ways to contain the demon presence their brakes stop working they almost get in several accidents but when they put holy water on this doll all of that stops so that really creeps me out and now this doll is in the Museum of the Occult in Connecticut where Ed and Lorraine Warren were. They have actually passed away. Lorraine just passed away recently in 2019 and Ed about 12 years ago. So even after they locked it up, it's not like these kinds of occurrences really stopped. It's in the museum. It's behind glass. It says positively to not touch. I don't know what people's obsession is with touching stuff, but we've all seen that. For example, there have been times where people mock the doll, like thinking that it's not going to do anything. This is such a ridiculous thing. It's a raggedy and doll, for goodness sake. And that happened a couple times. The first time was a priest who was called for the exorcism. He was in a near-fatal car accident. He, needless to say, did not insult the doll afterwards again, and he actually claimed that he saw the doll in his rearview mirror just before the accident, which is super creepy. Later, there are people who are visiting the museum, a man and his girlfriend or his wife, and they were mocking the doll, like, in front of the doll as well. And when they leave, they were riding a motorcycle. They were in a fatal accident for the guy, but the girl lived. And the girl said that when they got in the accident, they were actually laughing about the doll. So, moral of the story, if you think something might even possibly be haunted, maybe don't make fun of it. Don't tempt fate, right? You don't have to believe in it. Just... Why even put yourself in that position? And that's true even of haunted places. So I did some research about haunted places. I found a few, but I was really curious about what's like the closest haunted place to me, just like for my knowledge, so I can know how far away this thing is. It's like three hours away. It's in Grandview, Texas. It's called Anatoc Rest Cemetery. This cemetery has a long history of paranormal activity. So, for example, rocks would be thrown at you as you're driving past, even if there's nobody out there at all. But people have been unable to document that, you know, the, the rocks being thrown, which I always think is kind of weird. Like, if you're going somewhere that you know is haunted, like maybe record stuff if that's what you're going there to do. But there have been documented cases where people have seen shadows or ghost lights. But speaking about like insulting spirits, there was a case where a woman and her friends go to the cemetery and the woman is like berating the spirits, trying to get them to show themselves or whatever. And when they leave, 
this woman starts acting really weird, like she's being really aggressive, really violent with her friends, and that's just really out of character for her. So later that night, she is prayed over and her mysterious behavior kind of stops. But it doesn't really stop there because her friends who are with her start to experience weird things afterwards, even though they weren't the ones who were saying the the insulting things to the spirits. So her friends would have their children becoming suddenly afraid, screaming for no reason, furniture moving on its own, noises when no one else is home. After a while, everything did stop, like it kind of wore off, but these people have not been back to the cemetery since. Frankly, I don't blame them. One of, I think, the most haunted places the place that came to my mind immediately when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about for this episode is the Aokigahara Forest in Japan. It's called the Suicide Forest. That's at the base of Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji itself is said in mythology to be the home of gods, so it makes sense that maybe the forest would also have some kind of mythological connection. This forest is a place where people go to kill themselves, and around 100 bodies are pulled out of the forest every single year. It's the world's second most popular suicide destination, like place where people go to end their lives, after the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It is reportedly inhabited by ghosts with unfinished business who are unable to enjoy the afterlife. It's also said to be home to a mythical Japanese bird demon in addition to these spirits. And what I also think is really interesting is that, like, let's say I'm just there for hiking and I just take my compass. I'm like, okay, well, I know what direction I have to go to get out of here. Your compass is not going to work correctly because of the iron content in the lava under your feet because Mount Fuji is actually a volcano. So I think that that in and of itself is kind of creepy, and I know we can explain it with the iron content in the lava, but it really just gives me, it gives me bad vibes. Personally, I don't think I would ever go to this place, even just the thought of being in the forest. And when I was reading about it, they were talking about how weird and quiet it is, how dense the trees are, you can't see the sky, you can't see very far ahead of you. Like, I'm, I'm good on this. But people go here every year either for, as I mentioned, suicide purposes or just to go hiking because it is a nice forest. Japan, knowing that this is a suicide destination, has actually put forth major efforts to prevent it. They have a bunch of signs asking people to reconsider their decision and to, you know, think of their family and friends and don't do this kind of thing. There are suicide watch people who will actually go check on individuals who've decided to camp in the forest because the thought is that if you're camping in the forest, maybe you're not decided if you're going to end your life or not and they kind of want to get to you before you do that. They've also raised the railings on bridges, for example, to prevent people from wanting to jump over them. And I think it's so crazy that this particular forest does this to people. You know, I, I don't know if it's just the density of the forest itself. I don't know if it's like the spirits or whatever in the forest. But I think it's wild that this forest is actually known as the suicide forest. So I kind of wonder what it is in there that, that makes you, that gets you to that frame of mind. Or you're drawn to it for some reason when you are in that frame of mind. So that's something unexplained to me. I, I don't understand it. And I couldn't really find any conclusive, like, oh, this is exactly why it happens kind of thing. Another kind of creepy place, and it's not said to be haunted by, like, any malicious spirits or anything like that, but in Paris, there are actually catacombs underneath the city full of, like, six million dead bodies. So what had happened is that in the late 1700s, there was really intense rains and it actually washed the corpses out of a cemetery into the property next door. And over the next 12 years, there was a major effort to move these bodies to the unused limestone quarries 
under the city. So today you can actually go tour a small section of these catacombs and there are like art arrangements of people's bones and stuff. To me, that seems like super sacrilegious. Like I don't think I would ever arrange someone's bones. Like that just doesn't seem like the move to me. I think that moving bodies in and of itself is could be seen as bad, but I guess they were washed out and not just dug up. I don't know. But man, I, I've been to Paris. I didn't know about this. And to be perfectly honest, even now that I know about it, I will almost certainly not partake. I will not go see this, even though they said that the catacombs aren't really haunted by malicious spirits. There are instances where, for example, EVPs will jump from zero to the maximum range depending on where you're standing. Even regular photography throughout the catacombs turns up orbs and mists and all sorts of stuff that you, you don't see with the naked eye. But yeah, I am um, <laughs> very much in the like, don't tempt it kind of, kind of frame of mind personally. And that's just kind of the route that I take in general. I've had some of my own like ghost experiences. For example, in my parents' house in Ohio, when I was in high school, Every night I would see this older man like standing in front of my closet watching me and I would turn on the light and he'd be gone, turn off the light and he's back there. But he, I mean, wouldn't do anything. He would literally just be watching me and it, it was like uncomfortable, like really creepy. And a lot of times I slept with the light on. I just, I mean, I don't particularly like to be stared at in general, let alone by someone who's dead like that doesn't seem that doesn't seem good to me <laughs> um but nothing ever happened it just really did give me an uncomfortable feeling and maybe it's just like I was aware of a spirit in the room or something I don't know but nothing ever happened there and actually in my current home that I live in there have been instances where myself and my husband have seen things that aren't really explainable. So for example, we used to have our TV room upstairs. Like you walk up the stairs, take a right, and that would be our, our TV room. And if you would go up the stairs and go straight, that would be his study. And one night we're watching TV and all of a sudden we think we see, literally see somebody walk from the stairs into the study. And I look at him and he looks at me He's like, oh, I've seen that before. I'm like, excuse me? Like, we still live here? I don't get it. And he's like, well, I bought the house from a widow and I don't know how the man died. If he died in the home, maybe he did, but maybe he's just going to work. I'm like, all right, uh, cool, cool, um, cool. <laughs> so when are we moving? Got it. And I myself have experienced some weird stuff where... I was home alone. I was walking to bed. I usually use my phone as a flashlight when I'm walking in the dark. I have really terrible night vision and I'm like low-key afraid of the dark. It's no, whatever. I'm by myself, right? It's before I had my dog and I hear like three claps from upstairs. I am home alone. I don't know if I can say that enough. And I bolt to the bedroom. I shut the door, lock the door, and I'm like, um, I hope I don't need anything out there because I'm not leaving this place until the sun comes up. So I didn't sleep very much that night. My husband flat out did not believe me that this happened, but I will swear to it till the day that I die. And I don't know, I don't know what it was. I don't know what the purpose of it was. I'm not a fan. Didn't like it still don't like it. But all that being said, I might be uncomfortable, but in the same token, if there is a presence in this house, we're coexisting just fine. You know what I mean? Like we just kind of let each other do our own thing. We don't bother each other. Maybe I startle the presence as much as it startles me. I think it's cool. 
I mean, not cool, but like, I think it's, it's fine. And I just do my best to try to be respectful. And if I kind of feel something's a little bit off, you know, just be kind. <laughs> That's all you have to do. We try to explain these phenomena, but I also think that it might go a little bit deeper because if we think that ghosts exist, that people kind of hang around on earth after they die, then there's a chance that the people who have died before us are still here with us. And I think that that brings some people comfort. I know brings me a little bit of comfort, but in the same token, I, I don't feel like either of my friends are here as ghosties. <laughs> and I specifically told them that if they do come back as ghosties, no creepy haunting stuff. Don't want that at all. Just write a little nice note on my mirror or something and we can do that. But I don't want anything creepy. Just <laughs> putting that out there. But I think the idea of ghosts and spirits is something that's kind of nice and comforting for us as humans because the idea of death is scary and it really sucks that some of the people we love the most go before us. So maybe it's nice to think that maybe there are ghosts around here, you know? But something that I heard recently is that if ghosts could affect the physical world and could harm us, there would be a lot fewer people, right? So I think that that's a really interesting thing. Think about all the people who have died from wars or people who were murdered or who were just happened to be run over, wrong place, wrong time, people who died from hospital negligence, I don't know, like all kinds of people who pass away because of other people. I don't know. As I've said, I'm not an expert in this, but I do think it's fascinating. And I think it's fascinating that we as people believe this and we continue to share these kinds of stories like around the campfire, you know, or over a podcast, as it were. So normally I would tell you it's about the end of our time together, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do that yet. Uh, I'm actually going to share with you a short story I wrote about two years ago at this point. It's called Beware. You can find it on my blog at cbrownauthor.com if you want the actual text. But I, I'm just going to read it to you because I think it's... I'm actually really proud of this because it's... I don't know, it just kind of gives me like really creepy Halloween vibes. And I think I wrote it for my writing group right around Halloween time. So I'll share that with you today. It's called Beware. Fog drifted in from the depths of the mountains. It flowed into valleys and dry riverbeds, congealing the night's blackness into a pool of sacrificial blood. The townspeople of Bruxen drew their curtains tight shut and whispered to each other about spirits and demons. The cool October fog whispered back, beware. Tucked into a grove of oak trees at the far edge of town lay a small cottage. Puffs of smoke tripped up the chimney to join the Halloween gloom. Through a small crack in the worn curtains, flickering light spilled onto gnarled tree trunks and watching eyes. Ava Jenkins struck a long match. The flame sputtered to life before settling in to consume itself. She lit the circle of white candles one by one before blowing out the match. The halo of sea salt around the votives shimmered in the soft light. She sat cross-legged at the center of the circle. The clock on the mantel ticked softly. This is so stupid, she said loudly as if to make sure any lurking phantoms heard. She stared at the Ouija board she'd dug out of the closet. Its letters were faded, smoky black. Hello, yes, no, goodbye. 
The last word filled Ava's mind, echoed there, taunted her, reminded her that Mary hadn't even said it. The planchette stood innocently in the middle of the board, waiting for her touch to give it life. The glass center watched her chip off black nail polish. The shimmering raven flecks found the board like ash from a far-off fire. Light from the circle of candles bled through the glass and cast muted rainbows over the board. Rain tapped the window steadily. It had been exactly a year since her best friend died. Ava had drifted through today, a ghost in her own right, unable to think or speak or breathe past her grief. The hole in her chest where Mary used to be felt especially cavernous, yawning wider and wider until Ava thought it might swallow her whole. As the last bell of the school day rang, she made a decision. It was time. She needed answers. I can't believe you left without saying anything, Ava whispered to the planchette. It regarded her wordlessly. A tear slipped from the end of her nose to join the bits of nail polish. She balled her fists tightly, relishing the bite of nails into palms. The house shifted as old houses are wont to do. Thunder rolled across the sky, two towns over and up Ava's back, a warning. Ava unclenched her fists. Crescent moons lay on her palms, two rows of four headstones. Trembling fingers found the smooth wood of the planchette. Careful not to move, not to pretend the board worked when it didn't, Ava spoke. Mary? Silence answered. The white candles burned around her without wavering. Voice shaking, she tried again. Mary? Mary, are you... are you here? The planchette jerked to one side. Ava's eyes widened and she snatched away her fingers as though bitten. Nope, nope, too creepy. What was I thinking? Ava stood. Her long, dark hair brushed the board. A little hysterical laugh bubbled up from deep inside. The planchette skittered across the Ouija board. It bounced to a halt. Three letters shrieked up at her through the glass eye. Yes. No way, Ava breathed. I just knocked it with my hair, that's all. She's not here. No one's here. But even as the words fell from her lips, she couldn't bring herself to leave the protective circle. The planchette twitched left, then right. Back on, yes. For a moment, there was only the sound of creaking trees and Ava's heartbeat. Her gaze slid up, 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 from the planchette to the mirror on the wall. An unfamiliar pale face stared back at her, head tilted curiously, framed by curtains of greasy black hair. Blood dripped from charcoal eyes soaking into the girl's stained nightgown. You dare to summon Mary? The apparition asked, sharpened teeth glinting in the candlelight. Wait, how? You're not... Horror dawned on Ava's face. Oh no. The creature's grin stretched as it watched panic play across its victim's face. Oh yes. Mary grasped the mirror's frame, cracked fingernails digging into the gilded metal. She pulled herself forward and stepped out of the mirror. Gore spattered the wood floor with each halting step. Her joints crepitated sickeningly, but still she advanced on another unwitting victim. Ava stumbled backward, candles toppled over behind her. Their flames stared longingly at the wood below them, but they stayed their hunger for now. Salt whispered beneath her feet. Don't break the circle, it said. Too late. 
Mary let forth a shrill scream to the heavens, as if on command the candle's flames began lapping at everything they could touch. At her back, Ava could feel the heat of the newborn wildfire. Her eyes darted to the door just as an icy gust swept Mary toward her. The scent of death and decay followed close behind. Frozen fingers found her neck and dug in, lifting her to the ceiling. Ava scrabbled against the demon to no avail, legs flailing uselessly. Please, Ava choked. I'm sorry. I was just trying to talk to my friend. Bloody Mary bore down harder. Her mouth split with the force of her grin. Crimson blood dripped from her lips. You will, she said. I took her too. And now, <laughs> on that note, my spooky, spooky friends, we are about at the end of our time together. I will see you guys in a couple of Tuesdays. It will be my little possessions ghost story episode. If you have any, send them to me. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Wright C. Brown, W-R-I-T-E-C Brown, or follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Your So Quiet Pod, Y-O-U-R-E, So Quiet Pod. If you have any stories to share about your own ghosty experiences, send me a DM at Your So Quiet Pod. You can also visit my blog and website at C. Brown Author. And as always, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to help out your favorite spooky introvert. Okay, love you. Bye.